clip. That's what. What's the idea? Well, what's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea, Egghead? What's the big idea? Welcome back to What's the Big Idea. Today on the show, we have Max Stossel. So Max is a master at getting important ideas out into the world, and he does that in a few different ways, but my favorite is definitely through poetry. And he has an amazing story that he talks about, about how he found his way back from marketing and advertising to being a full-time poet. And his videos have been viewed over 20 million times. He won a Webby for some of the short films that he created last year. So truly incredible what he's doing there. On top of that, he's the director of education at a place called the Center for Humane Technology, where they work with technology companies to make sure that their designs, their mission, their products are actually generative and creating value for their end users and ultimately not manipulating us into downgrading as a civilization. And uh, he also does a lot of really fascinating work as a keynote speaker, goes into schools, works with educators, kids, helping them basically train themselves to exist in a world where technology is so deeply integrated into their life. And today his big idea is all about the reality that there's a different way to see it, is about perspective. And we talk about this individually, just the liberation of understanding that there's a different way to view it of all aspects of our life personally, talks about it relationally, about how to really kind of be understood by understanding other people first, by acknowledging our common humanity, identifying other people's objectives, um, to really kind of empathize with other people's perspective, to advance our own, uh, which is just so powerful, whether it's in the political realm, talking to someone that you disagree with, or whether that's with a romantic partner that you're in a disagreement with. And then he also bridges that into some of the more systemic conversations about technology and how some of the major platforms that we're all using are really leading us into this very divisive world where these algorithms feed us things that coalesce with our existing view of the world because we're more likely to click on these things, but which also doesn't actually allow us to to grow, to see things a different way, to evolve our perspective. And so it's a really powerful conversation that goes through these three really kind of core pillars, but ultimately this is about the reality, that there is a different way to see it. And when we can acknowledge that, there is so much room for growth, for evolution, and I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, Max Stossel. Welcome back to What's the Big Idea. This is my radio voice, and I am sitting here with my longtime friend, Max Stossel. Max, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me, Andrew. This is my radio voice. I really, I like it. It's not too far off from your normal voice. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> So, Max, you know, we have gone through so many different iterations of life together, and uh, I couldn't be more excited to have you here today because I have so much admiration and respect for the work that you're putting into the world and your ability to synthesize ideas um, in a really accessible way. And so, as you know, on this show, we like to enable some of the smartest, most creative, insightful people on the planet to talk about a single idea that they wish more people could integrate into their lives. And so in all the time you spent creating art, thinking about the world, what shows up for you as the singular idea you wish more people could consider and make a part of their lives? Yeah, when I was thinking about what do I want to distill for this beautiful program that you're doing, um, 
I feel oftentimes each of my poems has a specific message, but if I were to look through the body of my work, a lot of that is about that there is always another way to look at it. Um, ultimately, we're, we're so caught in our own perspectives so much of the time, and it can be very challenging to step outside of that. Um, but so much opportunity arises when we're able to shift our perspective, and particularly among being able to see through other people's eyes and create common understanding, create empathy, create compassion, um, being able to truly embody someone else's point of view, take that on as your own, and not just, oh, I get that, but to deep, like to deeply understand it. And with respect, I think is a an undervalued skill in bringing people together and bringing ourselves closer with people we might disagree with um, or might be in conflict with. And I wish more people were practicing it. Yeah. And so when did you first touch this idea as important where you were probably aware of empathy and perspective and all these things, but what was the first point where you, you thought about this and recognized it as something that was important? It's probably the concept itself, I think, would most likely come from growing up with a very convincing libertarian father um, who, when you hear the first sentence of most libertarian philosophies, um, or anyway, living in New York, when you hear the first sentence of most libertarian philosophies, the ones that are uh, fiscally conservative, you just think like, oh, this person doesn't care. This person is a monster. They don't want government to help the poor people they don't want government to save the environment like they don't care about the environment they don't care about poor people um obviously that's a challenging view to have of your father when you love your father which i think first alerted me to oh maybe i should listen a little bit more and ask and say like what how could you believe these things how could you say these things and then to be open to hearing how that might evolve or how there might be another reasonable perspective to look at politics in this case that wasn't morally bankrupt from what I could see, um, but in fact actually came from a place of deep care. And I think the fundamental disagreement in politics is not always, but often, like same deep care or similar deep cares for people and disagreements about how do we get there. And oftentimes, especially in our digital world today, it looks like one, politi one side of politics versus the other is just like, we care about this and you don't. Um, and I think that's very rarely the case if we're willing to go a layer deeper. Okay, so then if we're talking about being able to really empathize with another person's perspective, like what do you think is the primary resistance to people who brush up against that? Like you just talked about that with your dad. So even speak directly to that example. Like what is the resistance in us to opening up and actually being able to do just that? I think we all we definitely don't like being hypocrites we don't like being wrong we don't like our previous points or previous ideas and ways that we've acted or you know yeah, actions that we've taken in the past we don't like those to be wrong or off base or out of touch with the person that we want to be um, so I think one of the big challenges is actually having the openness to say oh if I look as the person I am today back at my actions in the past I am open to looking at those actions as something I wouldn't do again, or a decision that was, you know, it's not about wrong or right, but something that I, I wouldn't choose, and that doesn't feel aligned with the person that I'm about to be in two seconds, and then in two seconds again, and then in two seconds again. There's a, there's an openness that I think is required. And there's a, yeah, like a willingness to let go of long found deeply rooted beliefs. And that's really emotionally challenging when our worldviews are stacked upon those beliefs. Um, and I, you know, 
my own here, you could say is openness, like my own, that so much of my worldview is stacked upon the idea that maybe there's another side and that maybe I shouldn't be so grounded deeply and passionately fighting for one thing and not, you know, not just blocking out the other side because they're so wrong. Maybe passion is sacrificed in my own worldview. Um, so I think it's very challenging to really be open to releasing something that we've held for a long time, especially if it's shaped big decisions in our lives, like our romantic partners or like the jobs that we've chosen or ways we've spent lots of our time. And so actually having the openness to be able to throw that away in a moment and try a different path because I'm a new person now than I was a moment ago. I think that's, that's really interesting to me because it's, I think that you just touched on one of the, the probably most relevant examples of someone who, especially in the realm of politics or especially activism, who has beliefs and associates those beliefs with caring, right? With being of service. And so then when we build our identity around beliefs, values, but beliefs is some of those things. So to enter into that realm of uncertainty is just foreign and scary. Terrified. I think in a lot of the, the social good and nonprofit sector, I think also with charity work, the idea that like I've spent my life working on this thing that I, I saw there was such a wrong. It was so wrong and I need to fix it. And I worked really hard to fix it. And I worked really hard at that. And you're telling me that like, that that didn't matter, that that actually created more problems than it's like, no, like it, my heart was in the right place. My heart was in the right place. And I was trying to help those kids. Yeah. Um, and it, like, of course you empathize with that feeling. And that is true and real for that person. It's, it's tough to take a zoom out at that and say like, all right, what was the impact of what this person did? Did it help? Did it not help? Sort of intention aside. That actually comes up a lot in this is acknowledging the other side's intention acknowledging the people we disagree with or someone looking at something a different way, acknowledging that their intention is probably good, that most people think they're the good guy and they're trying to fight for what they believe is right. Um, and to acknowledge that they're coming from that good place and to look the person you're sitting across from in the eye, which is harder online, um, but to look the person you're sitting across from in the eye and be like, oh, okay, like this person cares and sees it differently than I do. How did they arrive where they arrived at? I think that one of the things that it, it really does is a, is a helpful prompt in this is like the idea if by holding my, my existing beliefs so firmly, right, that having such deep convictions, do I actually inhibit my own ability to really be of service, right? As for the people who are coming to this from a place of, I want to maximize my ability to serve people, to move the world forward. And then if I'm so incapable of opening up to different perspectives, that we do limit ourselves in understanding different ways to actually move things forward. So I want to make it more practical though. So what are some of these things where people, like I remember we, we were talking to your dad about like GMOs or something like that. And I didn't understand like, again, the, the blanket condemnation of GMOs. And then he talks about GMOs in the developing world and how, well, actually you, with GMOs, you've been able to accelerate food production and like sub-Saharan Africa and save millions of lives. And it's like, so there's a different side there to understanding an argument. What are, what are some of the practical ones that you look at where people are so deeply into their convictions of being in the right, where they are incapable of empathizing with the other side? Yeah, the GMOs one is a really good example. Um, and we're like, of course, and especially people in our community here in Williamsburg are like, how can we be putting these horrible things, these non-natural things into our food? Um, and not thinking about how, you know, 
many people are saved from starving from GMOs in, in third world countries. Um, like one thing, uh, often with regulation, I actually like this example a lot about regulation around new medicines. Like it feels like laws of like companies should not be allowed to try, like try things out, like test using humans as test subjects, like things should have to be safe before you put it in a human body. Um, and it's like that resonates like what i don't want to like people shouldn't be able to just like give me a medicine that i don't know is safe and these companies are just trying to make money they don't care about me um but what that law also means is that like you can't try anything for the first time um so just like thinking just really looking at each especially with laws thinking what are the unintended consequences of that what are the alternatives what could be like what might happen down the road um is tougher to do because again because most politicians and lawmakers are well-intentioned people most um they're trying to do something that feels really good or really right and so their intentions at the right place and then law plus intention just doesn't seem to necessarily mean what they thought it meant or what it was supposed to do and then 20 years pass and it's still up there and it's that's anyway but i don't want to turn this into my dad and it's very <laughs> it can go there very quickly no, I just, and i, I just, only sometimes i only sometimes agree but it's uh i just i just yeah. thought that it would be helpful for people to actually look like at some of these some issues where they really ground in and i think one that's you know that's very prevalent right now is so where there seems to be a a complete impasse is like the abortion bills that are the heartbeat bills that are opposing right now and like we're obviously like kind of like wading into very contentious territory but it seems like one of these areas right where people feel as though that they're having a conversation with people who are in one case murdering a child and in the other case completely kind of like stealing someone's freedom and decision to own their own body freedom of choice and so it's like how about in an example like this where you know, if you are talking to someone who is so deeply inhibiting your freedom, your innate value, ability to control your own decisions, your body, versus another who feels that like, what what do we, how do you open up in that place? And I think, like, what would you say is the value to someone right there, right, who's having a conversation with someone that so vehemently disagrees with you and wants to progress legislation that, in your view, negatively impacts you? How do you, how does perspective and what you're talking about apply to like a very real situation like that yeah this one just like hurts my heart to think about um because yeah if you're sitting across the aisle with someone who has the opposing view of of abortion legislation with you it's like and most people in that scenario i think get basically where the other person is coming from of like they get it's like well you think it's murdering a baby but it's not um and it's like well you think like you think this is just this is nothing, but like no, this is a life, um, and like it's going to be really challenging to have any sort of constructive conversation across that aisle. But for me, what this is about is looking at the other per- like looking at the person across the way and understanding that like where they're coming from, like is not a position of of evil. Like no matter which side of that you're on, this you have two deeply caring people who are caring about different things and there's a disagreement about which of those cares matters more. Um, and you know, and is there, is there some, like, are there some human rights and some things that like maybe we shouldn't be negotiating on at all of like, yeah, probably, you know, probably. And where is that line? These are complicated conversations to have. Um, it's my observation in society right now that it seems like we're drawing that line further and further and further away from like, 
objective realities of things that are really violations, etc. I personally believe that like, you know, a woman should be like, a woman should be able to kill anything that lives in her body is sort of where I believe. Um, so what I believe on that of like, whether that's a life, like that lives inside of you, you should have the legal right to kill that thing. Um, but that, you know, that's my opinion on abortion. <laughs> We've gone there now. Uh, but it's, I think the scale of looking at people across who disagree with you on this thing and not have like trying to not let it turn into the rah, the roaring fighting shout because I think more often than not that just roots people more deeply into their opinions, just makes the, like, creates more tension. Wow, the other side is so dumb, so evil, so fucking wrong. Yeah. Like, I just can't even, and, and like, then you're looking, then, like, confirmation bias, you're looking for the next wrong thing that they're doing. Yeah. And it just creates this division among people. And I, like, I don't want to diminish that sometimes that's going to happen, and sometimes things do matter that much. And I don't want to sit here and speculate on which things those are. But can we at least in the moment as we're thinking about it, decide, like, is this one? Is this where I'm putting my flag in the ground? Like, is this the one that matters that much? Because, like, whether or not someone thinks something about a Gillette ad, like, on lawn Twitter, probably isn't that thing, um, even if the underlying cares beneath it are. But there's those aren't the same thing. Yeah, you know, I think one of the words that really stood out to me in what you just said was assumption. And it's the idea of like, if we're, if we have a disagreement with someone, right? So there's a disagreement about like an idea, a piece of policy is that acknowledging the assumption that we're making about the person and their intentions when they're aligned with an idea, right? Or when they have a belief. And then I think that what you're at your core asking people to do what I'm taking out of it is just to question, not necessarily the idea or the disagreement at first, but just again, that when we're able to come in and just acknowledge that this is a person and wherever they came from, whatever led them to believe this, that they're just doing the best with what they have available. Right. Yeah. Of like, how do we, so what do you, what do you personally do like to meet someone and, and adopt or embrace that perspective where you are a clearing to just like receive somebody? What do you do? I per- like, you might be talking about a step before this and let me know if you are, but I personally, I want to get to the point where I can really like deeply and powerfully argue their perspective of like, where I understand what you're saying to the point that like I could passionately fight for what you are saying. Like I understand it that well. I can see the counter arguments and nope, here are my counter arguments to those counter arguments. And like you are wrong. And this is why I want to do that with the other side of this. Cause if I can understand something that deep deeply, one, I really know it. And two, of like if if I when there's something for me nothing is more convincing than when somebody is articulating my skepticism for me like when I hear them in the argument they're making that I hear the thought in my head that is like well what about this and they say and I know well what about that sure I immediately jump towards of like oh this person like they've really thought about this in a way that might be more than what I've thought about this totally and can I be open to that and so for me that's been a, a powerful way of moving the needle in shifting people's perspective. And so that, so I like, I really like to get to that, to that point if I can, to really deeply know it before getting. The, the way that I, I'm so happy that you went there. The way that I think about it in professional speaking is that when I work with clients on TED Talks and things like that, what I'll oftentimes talk about is anticipating objections. And so it's, if you have a big idea on a TED stage, right? If you're talking about 
harm reduction and like allowing people to use like safe methadone clinics. It's like, what is the person in the audience going to say is bad about that? What won't work? And that until you can quell like that, that part of their brain, that's just basically saying, this is bullshit. This is never going to work. Then they're really not hearing anything you have to say as a speaker. And so I always encourage people to start from that place, which is like for anybody, whether you're speaking in front of a team, whether you're getting up on a stage, if you think about that, if you have an idea or a pitch, like why will people say that it won't work, that it's not feasible, that it's amoral, like whatever it is, because if you, until you quiet that part of their brain, like they're just not even really capable of listening. So I think you nailed it on the head as a place there of like, what are my intentions coming into this? conversation first off am i coming in to convince or to understand right and ultimately it's like if you're just coming in to to spout off the ideas that you already know you already know that like what's exciting about and the other person feels that yeah like it's totally. like get it, we're in tug of war this was actually something dan fredenberg like talked to me about in a negotiation once which was um like I was just arguing back and forth with this guy of like I like I needed something to happen earlier and it wasn't happening earlier. He just came and kind of listened for a while, put his arm around our shoulders, and then was like, "Great, do we all agree we'll talk about this later?" And we were both kind of like, "What? Huh? Like okay." Uh, and he was just like, "At that point, like it, what you've said, it's not nothing here is about what you're saying. The words are not important anymore. You've established yourself in a tug of war game. Yeah. You're on one side, he's on the other side." There's no convincing. It's like, let's find a place where we can agree or we can agree, regroup and come back at this with a different approach where we're all on the same team. And looking at the people around us like we're on the same team, I think is a powerful framework for how can I approach of like, maybe like, and that's really hard to do. I don't want to, I don't want to claim that it's not. It's really hard to do, especially with someone you're like thinking, how could this person be living the way they're living or making the choices they're making? Like this person is not on my team. But to actually look at that with empathy and understanding, at least until we know how they got there. And then, hey, we might still think, like, I can't believe this person's making the choices that they've made. Like, that's ridiculous, and I need to I need to do something about it. Totally. We might still get there, but at least we first try and understand. Yeah, and I think that the – I'm going to bridge this outside of the realm of almost like the ideological and the political into just the relational and relationships because I think it's very relevant there as well is um, I think about this in the context of, like for me, I know that one of the things that's really challenging with my family is like going back and seeing my dad, who's a physicist and also a client science, climate science denier. And so to go back and have a conversation with him where I have my views, where I have my research, but ultimately he has his, but it's like, and I come back in a place where it's such an impasse that we just avoid the conversation altogether, right? And so I think that even in a place of evolving my own understanding of an issue that I care about, to approach it from a place of rather than judging him as a person of like, Oh, well let me understand an argument from someone who disagrees with this first as a a touch point of like, how can I actually move forward what I believe here more effectively? And the, the words that I think are so important that I, I would like really emphasize is like, um, is that right? Is that what you're saying? Right. Is that those words in a, in a sentence where it's like, if you're ever in confrontation, right? Or disagreement with anybody. If you use the words, like, is that right? Is that what you're saying? Of like, if you can repeat back what somebody else is saying and like have them be heard, like that is like one of the most helpful things you can do just to make someone really connect to the effort of being heard. Right. Yeah. I I even want to add of like, do I have that right? Of like, when I hear, is that right? Which is, it's, we're totally in little semantics now. But if when I hear 
is that right? Part of me is also activated into like, like, is that correct? Is that just like, is that like, oh, am I being challenged there versus of like, do like, do I have that right? Like, do I, do I understand what you're saying? I, I don't think I said it. When I say, is that right? Of like repeating back what somebody's saying and right. saying like, did I hear you right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Did I hear you right? I think I like better. Yeah. Like if I were to be like, so like you're saying, um, you're saying like climate, climate change is bullshit. Is that right? If like, if I'm hearing, is that right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, and if like, is that right? No, he's trying to trap me versus like, do I have that? Do I understand? Is that, is, is that what you're is saying? That what you're saying? Yeah. Is, that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I like that. Is that what you're saying is really nice. And also like with family members too, making it a, like, I've, so often I've seen, this is just too much and we can't have relationships with people who like have certain opinions or ideas. And especially in families, like, what do we want to prioritize of like how much of the, how much of this stuff is actually so important to our daily lives that like we can't have relationships with people because they see things from a different side or from a different place. Um, and oftentimes I feel like even people hearing that sentence that I just said, it's like, oh, well, you can believe that because you believe this, this, this or that. But like if you don't believe like but just what do we want to prioritize? Like what do we want to prioritize, especially in our personal relationships? And can we can we look for for what's underneath and can we look for how people are trying to be the good guy in their lives and in the world and so like i'm a poet my profession is words and i will be the first to say that like words are a pretty terrible way of communicating they're one of the best we have but like i have an experience or i have you know i have an experience I, that experience sort of turns to emotions and to thoughts those thoughts i turn into and emotions i turn into words that's third degree like we've translated into Google, we've translated back and then translated again. Like <laughs> that's the that's the language that we're <laughs> that we're using right now here in this communication. And that's really really hard to actually get to the communication point to like where wow, I see you. I see where you're coming from. I understand. I understand what you're worried about here. I understand what you're afraid of. I understand what you desire and want in this world. And I think like to me the poetry the, the ins most inspired poetry I've written, the stuff that feels like it comes from the other place, just gets us there for a second. Like gets us to that place of like, we're looking at this together of like, not just on the surface level, not the layer deeper, not deeper deep, like all the way to the center. Like we're looking at this together for a moment hmm. and then it's gone. And that kind of shared understanding at that depth is what I'm look. It's what I'm looking for. It's what I'm trying to create. And because I think it's so beautiful to see people that way, to see the world that way, to see ideas that way, of like together. Because I think there is such a deep common humanity. And if you get there, and it's not easy to get there, but if you get there, it's like this sigh of like, oh, just yeah. like deep comfort and deep connection that it feels possible through. A, deeper 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 communication which does not come from tug of war totally and you know when you talk about that togetherness one of the things that i'm reminded of i forget where i heard about this but again is in declaring and identifying with the intentions of like why someone holds a viewpoint of like why they think that that is important which is that when we think about our just baseline drivers as humans right to be safe to be fed to belong to be loved to actualize like whatever these are. Yeah. And so it's like if we think about those baseline drivers for everybody, mm -hmm. that if we can find it in ourselves to like transcend our, our anger, our rage, our contempt, like all these things that, you know, frustration, whatever it is, to actually look for what that is behind any agreement or point of view that we disagree with, 
there's, there's an element of being able to unify with people that you really disagree in that, right? Where it's like people who don't believe in climate science, like are being told that because they think there's a, an industry that's stealing money from them. And like people who, you know, like there's just, there's a belief system in there that ultimately comes back to like, they're trying to survive. They're trying to support people in a way that they understand of like there it's more often than not in my own experience, it's not malicious in nature. And that another technique there is like, I think you have this viewpoint cause you're trying to do this, you know what I mean? Because you're trying to save a child's life. You know, and acknowledging the intentions. Yeah, acknowledging people's intentions, I think, goes a long way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, only 97% of the climate scientists really agree with 3% that don't. When you get to, no, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> and I had to, like, global warming's a problem. We need to do something about it. Um, but, yeah, but even that one, like, that gets exaggerated in all sorts of ways in different proportions, I think. But if, like, but anyway, global warming's a problem. We need to do stuff about it. Let's make that super clear. Um, but uh, what's interesting to me, too... Is and I got distracted in like in that view. You're talking about that mapping attention. Oh, Joe yeah, Edelman's but... work about values. Um, hmm. I find really inspiring and interesting here because he talks about going from an ideological commitment, which is about what these ideas in the world are, yeah. to values. Trying to like really get into well, okay, well, why why is that important to you? Like, why is um, let's take any sort of example, um, like wh- like I I feel like everybody in the world needs to. Um, what's the thing that people think everybody in the world needs to do? Needs to recycle. We need to recycle. Everybody needs to recycle. It's like, okay, great. Like, why is that important to you? It's like, like the, the earth, like we, we need to save the earth. Like we need to save, save the earth. We're not doing it. There's so much plastic in the oceans of like, you see the sea turtles and like they got the thing in their nose and it's super <laughs> messed up and there's whales with plastic in their stomach and like that's, and that's not okay. Um, and it's like, oh, like it's, so is it about the, is it about the animals like that are that are dying from it's like and it's just like animals and earth and a production of all of it of like it's like oh it seems like um it, se- it seems like animal life is something that's really important to you it's like yeah you start getting these are conscious animals like they have thoughts feelings i'm totally spitballing here on what this sure. might be um and it's like they have the thoughts feeling we're not protecting them they can't speak up and we're, we're not protecting them and then it's like get into oh like it seems really important to like to speak up for for voices that um, that don't seem to be able to speak up for themselves. It's like, yeah, we have to. It's like, is, is there a time in your life that like you felt it's been important to like, that you wish someone spoke up for you? Like, but anyway, trying to get really drilled down from a personal life, from a personal standpoint, getting into what is it about you? What is it in your personal life that makes this so important? And also if people notice you doing this, sometimes they get mad because they think it's like, well, no, you're not taking the thing seriously. This isn't about me. This is about the issue um and you're right they're they're right that is what's happening here but if the goal is connection and not about being right um it's when, often better to take it to our y- own lives. and one one thing i want to call out here is that you know some of the things that we're talking about right now of really like acknowledging intention understand people's values on a deeper level that drive their their perceptions their their ideas you know maybe may occur as like a lot to do for someone on the street who you just disagree with, who's anti-abortion and waving a sign at Union Square. But that when we think about this in the context of like, we talked about family before and, you know, I just think about that again, as like one of my own values is just like allowing people to be who they are and like trying to see people for who they are, where they're at and just allowing, accepting that. And that it really is such a beautiful gift to, to try and connect with the people that you really care about on this level you know, the people that you disagree with and to ask yourself as you're listening to this, 
if you've taken the time to do that. Parents, friends, old friends that you're no longer in touch with because of these types of disagreements, if you actually gave them the opportunity to try and understand them of where these were coming from, what their intentions were, which I just think is a, is a powerful question. And uh, I want to I wanna get into like more of like the relationship because as you're talking about this, I didn't even think about this before we started talking, but the, the cornerstone of my relationship with, with Mickey lies on the bedrock of this one agreement. Do you know the one I'm talking about here? No. So this was, this was given to us by, by our coach, and it is the agreement that whenever we find ourselves in confrontation or disagreement, that we have this fundamental communication framework that we have to operate within. And so the framework is pretty simple, and it says that whenever we disagree about something, whenever we're fighting, is that to move through any argument. It doesn't matter who did what. It's you have to, you have to receive and repeat back the other person's point of view. And so what's so valuable about it is that it's just, again, the, we have agreed that as different humans, we are never going to perceive an event the same way ever. And so we've accepted that and we realize that, you know, we trust each other, we love each other. And so to, as a commitment to our relationship, whenever we get into a disagreement, like we just have to do that. So even if I'm furious with Mickey, I have to listen to how she took things. When she's done, I get to repeat it back. And then what we were talking about before, I'm saying it's like, is that what you're feeling? Yeah, that, right? And yeah. she gets to say yes, or she gets to say, no, you're not getting it. And then I get to do it until she's satiated and likewise. But if you're not capable of acknowledging the other person's perspective, then what within the contract, it just means that you're still angry and it's okay to be angry right? It's okay to be angry. Sometimes it's, it's valid. It's important. But that to truly move through something, you can't do it unless you have heard the other person's perspective, seen it, and offered yours and felt like yours were received. And to me, there's also, yeah, and the, uh, something similar I did with an ex-girlfriend was similar, called an open a heart exercise, almost exactly the same thing, and was hugely valuable. Um, but to me, too, we're talking about like the when the goal is connection, which like maybe it's not with the stranger on the street. Yeah. Right. But like for me, why I'm so passionate about this is also that like straight up from valuing efficiency and effectiveness. Yeah. Like the tug of war doesn't work. Like it mm. doesn't work at like getting anyone towards like any mm. sort of positive outcome. It's like if we look, this is in America right now. Sure. If like we're facing very real problems, like there's some really messed up stuff that's happening. Like. And it's not okay. And people who are caring deeply about one part or the other are in such tug of war that we don't, that nothing ends up getting done or happening because you can't move anyone across an aisle or across an idea. And so, like, we don't get anywhere. And so, like, this, is, this isn't about of, like, oh, let's all just try to understand each other because, like, oh, that's better. And, you know, this stuff isn't, doesn't matter that much. Like, and sometimes it does. Sometimes this stuff matters that much. And instead of doing anything, instead of solving things, instead of looking at what's real and happening and how do we address this problem, we're so caught in like, they're wrong. This is the right perspective. I have the right morals right now. This and this tribalism and this anger. And yeah, sometimes the anger is important. And in the work we're doing in men's group stuff, anger is super good to experience <laughs> and go through our bodies. Um, but it doesn't like, and sometimes anger is an effective mechanism for getting to, from point A to point B. But in these arguments, it just seems like it just roots people deeply, deeply, deeply into their own beliefs and quietly has them just hating you. Yeah. You know, it's not, they're just not ready to hear any more ideas out of your mouth, even if they've quieted down. Yeah. Like you haven't convinced anybody. 
you've just like you've shut somebody up yeah and now they're just letting something stew and i think we've got got a president who a lot of people who are stewing are pretty happy about right now yeah and i and i think when you talk about that of one of the things that makes me think of is i sat in a salon with david brooks once and we were talking about fear and i'm gonna i'm gonna conflate fear and anger just really intense kind of scary emotions when they're kind of inflected onto you and he was talking about um fear and he the question was is fear an effective motivator of people and he said in the short term certainly and it was that idea that if you are coming from a place of shaming or in a place of scaring people right whether that's through like intellectual bravado or like whatever it is that you may like have them succumb to your point of view but not from a place of connection and understanding but from a place of resentment right and that ultimately what happens is that that if we're changing behavior from that place of fear of anger of domination it's like what happens after right. the and initial I'm waiting for you to fail the next time and I'm excited to point and like to, to jump on the opportunity that you failed the next time because okay you quieted me but like how do I get you back? Totally. And so that's, and so that's what I think is, is again, it's like the idea of, you know, slow and steady of, of, of learning to value this as a practice of opening yourself up to this and not going into conversations with the need to change minds, right. To convince, but going in more with the need, even when it's important. And, right. And that's what, like, that's the piece of it is that I think, I think you do more convincing by trying to understand. Totally. Yeah. And that's in that. So that's, I think, and a beautiful thing right there is that, again, it's like when we want people to empathize what we think, it's just that's that's a really important shift to come in anywhere. And and like and if you're trying this of like, it's so trans like we're not as sly as we think we are of like it's so transparent when we're pretending to try and understand. But really, we're just here to try and convince like the best convincing we can really do is just really deeply trying to know where someone's coming from. And it also opens us up to being like, oh, okay, you, you get it. You see where I'm at. Do you feel differently now that you see that I'm at? Why? Where? <laughs> um, of like, I, I'm ready. Yeah, take my hand. I'm ready to, I'm ready to go where you want to take me. Um, but like we're, you know, we're, people are smart. And it's easy to tell when that's like, well, yeah, I should have my guard up because you're just trying, you're, you're really just waiting for your opportunity to poke. Yeah. You can tell. So one thing I want to call it here is that I'm going to add something into the show notes for this episode where it's just going to be four simple questions that because of some of the things that we've talked here about acknowledging intentions, about repeating back what someone has said. I want to actually provide some of these questions and techniques so that there's a real cadence to like when you're getting into a conversation with someone you disagree with, which hopefully, hopefully you surround yourself with people that disagree with you, right? Which is so often the case of we don't even have that opportunity now. And you, you can speak more to this, but, um, so Max, you know, in addition to be being a poet and speaker, he also, what's your job title at center for humane tech head of education, head of education. And so could you speak more to how technology has been facilitating this? When we talk about being in this echo chamber, right. Of not being around people who have a diverse set of opinions. How do you feel that that's actually cultivating our ability to, to open up in the way that we're talking about right here. Yeah, this is really hard online. It's, it's really hard to show someone that you can't feel them or see them online, right? Can you, can you explain the Center for Humane Tech real quick, actually? The Center for Humane Technology is a group of former tech insiders and CEOs that are dedicated to realigning technology with humanity's best interest. 
um, a bunch of people who really get the industry very well and are concerned about the direction that tech is steering us. Yeah. Tech is the terminology they're using right now. In many ways, as these algorithms get better and better, we're downgrading humanity, downgrading the aspects of us that we that we cherish. Um, and so online, uh, and this you know changes very often and frequently, often and frequently, like those are two different things. Um, this changes often, uh, but when I see an idea, when I, uh, and actually Zainab Tufechki actually talks about this very well, which is she was researching Donald Trump rallies and she, you know, would go and watch these Donald Trump rallies and she would very quickly be pushed towards white supremacy videos. She would go and, you know, researching Bernie rallies and very quickly get pushed towards the conspiracy left. Um, there's like a couple of recommendations on YouTube in, um, and it wasn't just politics. This was the algorithm figuring out of like, Hey, no matter what you sort of watch, if I'm tilting you in one direction, cause I want you to watch more YouTube, I can either tilt you towards like the simple, boring, like versions of reality, or I can tilt you towards kind of like the most extreme crazy town. Mm. And we watch more when it's crazy town. And it wasn't just politics. Like if you were to look at videos about being a vegetarian very quickly you'd be pushed towards veganism and then towards shouldn't have any honey products because honey comes from bees and her joke is that we're never hardcore enough for youtube um and so we have two billion people and that, that's like that's one very concrete example with recommendations but the facebook algorithm for a long time and i would say still is and twitter as well and google in its own extent just like very subtly and very slowly um like pushing us towards the extremes of whatever ideas we're most likely to believe which is why I think like this skill set is more important than ever because mm. it's going to seem we have 2 billion people who are sure. I see it. I see the world. And of course, we don't just see the world through our news feeds. It's not the only place that we get this, but we interact with our friends and loved ones and we go on TV. We watch news on TV there. Everybody on TV is following Twitter very, very closely because they're trying to be on the pulse. So they're heavily affected by this stuff. Even if you disconnect entirely, the people we surround ourselves with are often very influenced by this system. And so we have 2 billion people being pushed towards the extreme of whatever idea you are most personally susceptible to fall into a rabbit hole of. And we have 2 billion people who are certain, who are like, I, I get it. I see how the world works. And everybody's lost their mind except, except me. And we have 2 billion people who feel like nobody gets it except me. How does nobody get it except for me? Um, and so then we have, you know, we're, we're seeing – and. The research shows that you don't just see people of your own opinion, of your own viewpoint. You see other viewpoints too, but most of the time, especially through 2014 to 2016, um, I think what we were seeing was not like, here's like, here's where I'm coming from on the other side of this issue. It's like we were seeing the thing that was going to make us the most angry, like the version of the person, that person on the other side who we just wanted to yell at and scream. And so that wasn't actually seeing another perspective. It was just seeing again how crazy the other side is and mm. like we need to we need to get the heck away from these people and it was kind of dehumanizing and i think the internet often is in political debate and in debate and conversation um but so i mean yeah like and there's so much data it works so well but like you, you remember that time you scrolled through our pictures for like a full 20 minutes but didn't like anything sure facebook remembers <laughs> Facebook remembers everything you've ever clicked on, what you've hovered over and for how long, what you like, share, and comment on, whose profiles you visited, and how deep you've gone. Facebook owns Instagram. And Instagram tracks the location of every picture you've ever taken. Facebook owns WhatsApp. And what's that but a way to track your messages back across your social graph? Facebook knows. 
And Facebook likes to show you content you'll like, like ideas you've already liked and people with like ideas. So like, what happens when our perception of the world is an algorithm designed to feed us what's already on our minds versus opening our minds, expanding our minds, and leaving those preconceived notions behind? What happens when Democrats are fed only hero stories about Democrats and horror stories about Republicans? When exactly the inverse is true too, then what happens? And it's not just politics, but any conflict. What happens when it becomes completely impossible to empathize with the other side because we're immersed in the confines of our own minds and like minds, and I want to like your mind, even if it isn't like mine. Though anatomically, it's almost exactly like mine. But you've been taught differently than I. Your values differ from mine, and that's fine so long as we're open to each other's eyes and, sorry, open to each other's sides and don't resort to clawing out each other's eyes, getting so trapped in our beliefs that we hide the condemning evidence with secrets and lies. And if you took that last side, last line about hiding condemning secrets and lies to be about the other side, it's not. It's about your side, and I say that to hmm. all the sides. The truth matters most when it is not on your side. And don't get me wrong, social networks can be powerful forces for good, and we should empower those being silenced by tyrants, give a voice to the quiet and misunderstood. But I'd like some transparency. Because recently, I've been trying to hide my browser history from everybody. Just because I don't want the internet classifying me, want to see what the world wants me to see without being encumbered by so many algorithmic biases. My reasons for desiring all this privacy are less about what you're taking and more about what you're serving me, and I know I could turn on those tabs of recency, but so long as everyone else is subject to being test subjects in digital laboratories, might as well keep them company. And if you're not convinced a filtration system's dangerous, think about that child growing up digitally ingrained in ISIS and what he might think the value of a life is. And then try and understand that our cultural bubble has us believing something almost as troubling. We'd be blinded to it, as with every affirmation, our beliefs will be redoubling, and I don't claim to be able to navigate the maze that I'm describing. But let's take this moment together, recognizing our world is a story. These algorithms are co-writing. So let's seek out opposing opinions actively, respect our opposition's intelligence, explore alternatives with empathy. Let's never stop striving for variety, because there are some things that Facebook, Google, this whole personalized web doesn't know. Doesn't know the emotional impact of constant FOMO. It doesn't know how gratifying it is to overcome discomfort and truly grow. It doesn't know there are some people I need to let go, even if I'll never stop clicking their photo. It doesn't know how much the world needs voices with which we don't agree how badly we need empathy for our fellow human beings. Everybody thinks they're the good guy. Everybody, everybody's not wrong because they disagree. There's now data to back up their opinion, too. Our world has so much bias, it's rare to find an ounce of truth, and the moment we stop looking for it, searching for it actively, we lose. These algorithms don't care about bringing humanity together. Do you? Hmm... These algorithms don't care about bringing humanity together. Do you? I do. <laughs> but yeah, they really don't. So you, what, like, the way that I feel right now is, like, we just talked about so much of this as the algorithms and the entities that are designing the digital world that we spend hours and hours and hours of time on every single day. So what do we, what do, we do to counteract that in our own life? Like, what do we do 
to actively develop and grow our own opinions so that they don't exist in an echo chamber that we're more likely to continue to click through. So there are actually some digital services that are pretty good about this from like a personal standpoint of what can a person do to like really change this across systems we would need the platforms themselves to make adjustments. But there are things like uh, Reddit change of view, which like is a whole environment that is designed where you get points if you change someone's mind. If people are going in being like, I think this, like I think eating meat is like horrible, like change cool. my mind. Um, and you get points if like you create, had an argument that like changed somebody's mind. Yeah. Um, there's something called read across the aisle and there's just like with any article, it shows you like an article from the other side as well. Um, and then even just some of like pros and cons lists of ideas on, on this, if you Google like pros and cons of universal healthcare, um, I believe there should be universal healthcare. Um, but if you Google those things, you can see oftentimes like where people are coming from who disagree with it. Yeah. And so there's, if you, if you really want to, there are active ways of doing it. And I hear a lot of people being like, well, I watch Fox News, so I know where they're like where they're coming from, um, and I think there's, I think there's a difference between like turning on the one thing that like might be most inflaming or enraging versus being like, okay, how did someone come to this belief? Like, what does that, what does that look like? And really having the true curiosity, which some of us might not have. Yeah. Well, I think even I think that I might have got this from you, but I, I remember that I redid my Apple News and even on Twitter. And I started following more people from like the alt-right and Republican news outlets. And just by exposure to that, like, again, my reaction to it was less aggressive or triggered when I would see it because I just I'd seen it before. So I think that that's like, again, a, a powerful thing of we don't we don't necessarily follow these people because we support the message. We follow them because it's important that if we care about uniting the world that you have to concern yourself with other people's with perspectives. Yeah. yeah. It's not enough to just continue to advance your own views. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I'm, I'm worried about where we are because it's, it also yeah, in many ways seems frowned upon to try to be open. How can you be open to that? Like, it's just, you know, that's a real, that's a real thing. Um, and in some things, maybe it's not okay. Like I am, Maybe it, maybe there are places where that goes too far. So how do we? So let's be let's be practical for the person who, who does like have that response, right? Which is that one of like trying to be open on an issue that someone say one of your friends feels so passionately about, and they say, "How could you be open on something like that? A woman's fundamental right to her body. How could you even like, you know, and associate them again with being a bad person?" What, what do you say? What is kind of like the words there to show why openness, you know, some of the things we've talked about is important? Yeah. If someone like in that moment where someone is coming at you um, with like a full of like, no, like there's, there aren't two sides. There are not two sides to this. Yeah. Um, I jump right to, to, to understanding personally if like, like I get like, like I hear you like, and I get why this is not fair and not okay of like and like there and there are people trying to take away that right and like and making it so hard for like innocent women who like just can't afford it and women who are raped in the worst of situations yeah like that's and that's not okay it's not okay and it's so messed up it is so messed up um of like i don't think we get anywhere by not understanding where people are coming from to learn how to change that or differentiate that and i mean and unfortunately like 
this is where sometimes I'm like, oh, like, should I have more strong opinions? Because I would do something similar for the other side. Um, if, like, cause if somebody's coming with that fire, I'm just trying to meet them. I'm just like trying to, to meet and see in that place so we can try and understand together. Um, and cause, yeah, and it's, it's tough. It's tough with laws because sometimes laws just need to happen, need to go. Um, but most of the time, I feel like we just fundamentally get to a better place when there's shared understanding. Yeah. Do you feel that like people today with like, again, it's, I mean, we, we grew up as a first generation with social media, but even now, you know, having it at such a younger age, what is the, what is the pressure to kind of like coalesce around a specific perspective? And like, what's that like for young? Cause you work in schools, which I think is so fascinating of like, we just talked about this of like the ability to actually discern information on the internet and to like not be so manipulated by these things, which is a real skill that kids have to have to basically develop right now. And John, so, Jonathan Haidt has a platform called open mind, um, which does as good of a job of anything I've seen at that, at like training students, how to be open to other, other opinions. From no like way. Some of the research and what are they, what, moral psychology and just like sort of putting you through some exercises and then helping you just like sort of de, de outrageify the uh the internet is some of the the goal of that yeah he, he had some interesting thoughts in his new book coddling of the american mind right which was like the idea of protecting people from harmful situations which is the idea of like so so committed to the the idea of i think one of the examples that he talks about was like peanuts right and that there were, do you know what? I feel triggered. <laughs> we have we have a peanut allergy uh, human on the other side of the the table. Um, but what he talks about was again, it's like our desire to protect. Of like we had a belief again that there were kids with peanut allergies, and that so to protect kids who had peanut allergies, which was like I think like five percent or something like that. And then they decided that they were going to like eliminate all peanuts like across like United States public schools or something like that. And since they did that, the lack of exposure to peanuts at a young age made like it's and it's and look it up because I don't know the specific number, but this massive increase in peanut allergies amongst young people, you know. And so it was like the intentions of these people was really pure, but it's again if they just weren't able to actually connect with the actual impact of what was happening. And so, yeah, that's really fast. It's called Open Mind. Open Mind is that tool, yeah. I, and I haven't read The Coddling of the American Mind, um, but I've heard, yeah, I've heard interesting things. And in general, I feel he is a good, um, a good spokesperson for openness. Uh, and it's interesting with like the idea of like speech being violence, and with nonviolent communication being a proper a popular framework. Um, yeah. And actually, and I think it's really valuable nonviolent communication. And actually, even uh, my friend. Alice, who's someone I trust very deeply about communication, talked about the possibility of some compliments being violent, in which, of course, I don't believe compliments are violent, but the way of looking at it I thought was really helpful from her, where she was saying, if I say to you, Andrew, of like, uh, of like, oh, like, I love, like, I just, like, I really love, I love so much like that, like, I love that you ask questions, like, that's what I love about you, I love that you ask questions. Um, in, like, inherent in that is, if you didn't ask questions, no more love. Yeah. <laughs> and her framework is of like, what if like, not that it matters, but like, it's really cool that you ask questions. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. Of like, versus why well, I had it, ways of framing that. Um, I had it. I, am I, were you done with that thought or are you? Yeah, I can be. 
it was just it triggered something to me where I actually had a conversation today where someone reached out to me on Instagram, and then I just noted because I was like, oh, I really like following this person's stories. I just love seeing them like build a business and do this other stuff. And I was like, I really love how you use stories. It feels very real to me. And then I think that she took it as a like a as an insult, like of like it is real. And I was and I was like, oh shit! I just meant it as like it felt like it was very authentic expression of who you are. Yeah, miscommunications yeah. all over. <laughs> yeah, very totally. very tough. And also, like I think compliments are great in the most part. But anyway, I only bring that up as I think it's really helpful sometimes to look at speech as violence and what does that create and how does that help us become better communicators. But also, speech is not violence. Hmm. <laughs> violence is violence. Yeah. And it's yeah. I I think the opportunity for conversation to happen is important and for us to not draw the line in a, what feels like a false place and with exceptions of course always with exceptions yeah um but that like really getting into policing what is allowed in language yeah and so i mean when we go from here you know i, I want to definitely talk about a little more of with this idea that feels so central to how i see you personally exploring life uh, navigating issues, how I see you thinking about some of the fundamental systems that are at play. So before I think about how art comes into opening minds and introducing ideas, and this one specifically, um, you talked about how, we talked about some of the practical kind of applications that were available, but you said that for this to change on a systemic level, that there would have to be like the the platforms themselves and real political change. And so I just wanted you to touch on that so we can kind of close that loop of like for the work that you guys are doing, what, what does need to happen in that landscape for people to be less manipulated, more free to just make up their minds without, you know, some of these algorithms controlling what this we see. Super complicated. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, side. just tie it up in um, like 30 <laughs> seconds. Uh, for me, especially with social networks, um, like content is not a human need by itself. I would love for social networks to be using all of this data that they have on us already to be thinking, huh, a social network, how can I help this person spend more time with people they've indicated that they care about? Um, how can I illuminate new possibilities or social experiences that this person would, might, would later rate as meaningful or this really helped them um, connect with friends, really helped them be more expressive or creative, really helped them put food on their table, really helped them of like send their kids to school. Like, if we were looking at social networks and apps and digital systems that were actually, like, ranked and the things that performed best at helping us achieve those goals or live by those values, like, wow, what a cool thing technology in our phones becomes and social networks become as this, like, real aid to my life of, like, whatever I'm trying to do or however I'm trying to be. Technology has all this big menu of options of ways that can help me do that and really putting us at the center in a way that we're not now. And then I think naturally a lot of misunderstanding dwindles out because just like news is much less of a focus i actually and it's funny i'm noticing like i feel exposed in this conversation partly because what we're talking about like this goes out and then if i were having a conversation with people who disagreed with the ideas that i'm having right now mm -hmm. i would need to be using much like very different language like we're because we're you and i are on the same page on this and it's like in a lot of ways and so we're we're going fast um, but like, I, I feel myself in comments that I've made, like, yeah, I just feel in my stomach of like, oh, like I'm not creating understanding in some capacity and in some ways I am, but like, I feel open and exposed to that and I'm just noticing it, um, noticing it in myself. But I think naturally news is not 
like news is not a human need and how how much of what we see actually impacts our lives or actually impacts what we're able to even act on or do or like even vote on like how much of that information actually makes any sort of difference at all and especially right when something happens there's this human need to know i gotta know oh, what happened i gotta follow the updates i gotta see like do we we don't know anything that happened immediately as it happened we're just like open to all sorts of misinformation and fake news and like total slants and conspiracy theories like the algorithm is has a losing battle of I have to put the most accurate news immediately in front of you. How could it? How could we possibly know what happened instantly? But we have this desire to know. There is a human need there. Not a human need. There's like a human want. Um, and but like if these networks were actually focused on solving the things that are most pressing in our lives and helping us be the people we want to be, I think naturally the other stuff starts to fall by the wayside. The news we're seeing is much more related to whether things are actionable, whether things are really related to what we're interested in. Um, but we stop having so much just like random chaos yeah. of news that I think just creates a lot of stress and anxiety because I see the I see that the earth is sinking and this waters are rising and I I can't do anything about it. I can use less plastic. It doesn't feel like it does anything. Like what I I'm angry and I'm panicked and it just creates more more rage in the fight without action. And I would love, I think we need these devices to enable and empower us to take the actions needed to solve big problems like climate change like poverty like so all of these very real you know race relations issues things that we're facing yeah and it's interesting it's like the the analogy that i think to make sense of that is like after you're done using a product or like some customer support channel like zendesk or something on some chat feature after you're done there's a little smiley face or an angry face and it says was this helpful right and it's just the idea of like, what would that look like in the social context, right? If there was some sort of option there where it wasn't just based on what we do, but what's truly generative for yeah. us. And in what categories and what different ways and what should those be? Like, that's a really tough question. Yeah. And I would love for there to be in the same way there are thousands of engineers on the other side of the screen working on growth hacking and marketing. People, philosophers in these companies trying to brainstorm, like, what are the most meaningful ways of living and how do we empower that? Yeah. And so is, is time well spent still up right now or is it time well spent was sort of the beginning of this, of this movement. It's now sort of merged and is um, it, merged so, into the center for humane technology. But if, so is that whole narrative for people that want to, cause I don't want to derail the conversation, but for people who are curious about that idea of designing technology more aligned with our users, real values as opposed to our values and what's important for the company. Yeah. Time is, well spent might help you get there is that start, i mean googling some of it but also the center for humane technology will beautiful will, will do and so what is what has become so i i've known max for probably seven years new year's 2011 okay so can you just tell the quick story of how poetry came into your life and sure. then and then i want to talk about how you use art to open people up to some of the things that we've talked about very practically. Yeah. Um, poetry came into my life in your living room. Um, I, we were hanging out with thank you, Adam. And at that time I was like, I remember asking him at dinner being like, like, Oh, like you're a poet. Like, I don't get what that, <laughs> I don't understand what that means. Um, and he was a, a really nice guy and really thoughtful. And then he, Oh, as only Mickey and Rada can, because Adam is not somebody who will just like perform on command, but with enough 
Agarwal. Come on, please do one. Will you do one? One poem. Come on, one poem. Come on, just do it. Will you just, you're here. Will you just, will you just, come on, Adam, please, one. Um, he performed a poem um, in that living room. And I was just struck by, like, one, I was just remembering a lot of the lines. And I just really, like, was deeply listening throughout the whole thing. And I was moved. And on the way home, I started writing about, like, why I liked it just on my phone notepad. And the first two lines rhymed. And I was like, oh, I can do this. Um, and then I finished that poem and I saw him the next day. And I was like, hey, like I, I wrote a poem after your poem. Do you want to hear it? And he was like, okay. <laughs> um, and but I read it for him. And he was like, wow, you should like consider pursuing this. And I started writing just in the time that I had, like on the way to, to and from work at the time. Yeah, on the train a lot. And after I had my first, um, after I had Subway Love, which was the first poem that I wrote that like really felt deeply inspired and powerful. Um, I shared that with friends and then um, Rada was like daybreaker, the end of daybreaker perform that for 200 people. And it's like, wow. And I had a stage and people would say, Hey, can you send me that? And then I would say, ah, when I write this out, this is not the same. How can I get the essence, the core of this message to be delivered in this digital world that I have so much conflict with. And it seemed like turning them into short films was a better way to do that. And so I, hustled around and got people to help me turn that into a video and that went viral and helped sort of spark the poetry career and now I'm doing these uh these one-man shows that I feel deeply proud of as having the container to get to that place beyond words um that we can't quite capture and see through that shared eye for a moment um and open people up to enjoying their lives uh in an hour-long show and I've got one coming up at Joe's Pub on July 2nd we're not gonna let you off that easy so okay, cool. why do you do this why do i do this um because i must uh i have deeply thought of like what like why poetry <laughs> like i'm gonna walk into the street and like literally do anything like i'm just gonna like stand and say words what do words do uh like when poems come and when i get inspired and they come through it's like the closest that I feel to total connectedness and all things. It feels like the words come from a higher place and I'm trying to catch them and put them on the page. And it's amazing how on the side of two things, it can feel at once both like, what? Who cares? Like, who cares? It's words. I'm saying words on a stage and like literally the only and most important thing because it feels like it comes from a divine place. Um, and yeah, there's just something deep in me that like knows that I must, I must do this and I must share these ideas. Hmm. Uh, and that's why, that's why. And why does it matter? So I've come to a place and it was very hard thinking as the skeptic that I am, why does any of this matter? Oh God, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to be a poet like spoiled Max from the Upper West Side of New York City. Like seriously, you're going to spend your time doing poetry? Are you kidding me? Um, I can be that for myself. And, but I've come to believe in the ripple effect as a very real thing. I was watching a group of friends of mine, like watch a really stupid video. Uh, and they were just like, and then discuss it afterwards. And then they made a decision off of that discussion. And I just sort of noticed, I was like, wow, like this, this actually influenced their lives and made a course change for what something that might've happened. And 
my videos are being seen millions of times in different places. I have to assume that's happening at least sometimes. Like and I'm not going to much like, see like 200 million now or something like that. 20 million, 20 million. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, incredible. Yeah. Uh, but you said an anchor really high. So now it'll feel less. <laughs> <laughs> everything, um, everything is a lie. Everything's a lie. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been seeing 20 million times. And so I have to assume that like that's creating some little change and shifts and paths. And that's, and that's the work. That's the work of art is to plant seeds and create ripples and especially online, we might never see the result of those little ripples or where it goes or how things change. And I've been grateful that like, because my work has been spread really widely, I do get some messages of like, with some of the tech poems of like some of the, like one of the Ethereum founders reached out to me and was like, oh, like I really, and just really got it and was like, oh yeah, maybe we should measure our success differently. Um, and so it's really cool to get messages where it feels like that lands, but I have to assume that that most of the time like I'm not going to see, I'm not going to see what happens or how exactly it changes people's lives. And Elizabeth Gilbert talks about like saving every single positive message that like that she gets and keeping it in a folder of like for mm. her to be able, cause we know we're going to forget. We know we're going to forget that this stuff matters or helps people or impacts anybody and to constantly be able to revisit of like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like it's a, something, something is happening. It's doing something. And just in the sense of giving us the fuel to keep working. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, when I first saw, I forget if it was your first live show and I wanted to write down like what it was. And I think that, you know, why we probably ended up on your idea being this one of there's another way to see it um, and perspective was because I remember that as I came out of it and I was like, Max uses words to help you see the world in a new way. And the way that I really got brought into it was not through some like ideological argument and seeing through like the left and the right politically, totally. it was being able to become a dog. <laughs> and it was Max doing a poem about his dog, Luca. And just again, like taking us into the experience of, can you just say the line about the bird real quick? The, I can't because it would be out of context. I would need the whole thing. It needs the whole thing? You yeah, they all need the whole thing. It's <laughs> terrifying to me, but they all need the whole thing. Um, but yeah, but also, like, yeah, I'm glad you bring that up, too. Because, yeah, we sort of started in the political place, which, you know, this stuff is helpful for and very present right now. But, yeah, not the point. Like, not the point of this. The point of the show and of the work is that, like, there's so many different ways to see our own perspectives and our own lives and just like the world around us. And there's so much opportunity and so much beauty under our noses every single moment. Hmm. And it's so hard to pay attention to. It's so hard to remember and to find it. And it's, and that's like, and the show just looks through nine different perspectives and just kind of leaves you with that, like that. Oh yeah. And gives you that deep felt sense. I think. Yeah, it's, it's not just, you know, we think about perspective in someone else's, but being able to evaluate our own. Yeah. Like, what is the lens that I'm seeing the world? And being able to like, take a step back, acknowledge that, like, really none of this is objective reality. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's all our perception. And I remember, like, one recently that, that has so impacted me is your poem about um, art and nature. Can you synthesize what that is about for you? Because it's like now, so yeah, what, that, or I can, that's like a pretty, that's an exercise in perspective for sure, which was just like wondering like literally why, logically why. It's a kind of a, the poem is a logical exercise pretty much. And why don't we value nature the way we value art? If it's like, what is it about art that is, some people will pay $450 million for a painting 
but like we'll just sort of throw our stuff in the ocean or on the ground or like you know just rip down trees and turn them into other stuff uh and it's like is art more beautiful like no it doesn't seem to hold up there um like is it like is it about time that we could put all this painstaking effort into our art and it's like well nature's been going on for for a really long time doesn't seem to hold up there and it just kind of works through these different logical logical fallacies it seems like of why this wouldn't be so much more valuable than any art piece if we chose to look at it that way and yeah like the what's the point of that poem the point of that poem is just to is to try that on so try that on and look at look at nature as though it were a masterpiece and how does that affect the way that we live or the way that we see yeah and so what what has been when you look at how you've transformed your own perspective on the world that has most empowered you to live life kind of like aligned with who you really think you are and like your values what have been some of the fundamental shifts for you personally of like where you point to a perspective or a point of view that was then transformed yeah. i love that question of like what's a view that you and i would invite that for anyone listening to what's a view that you once held that you now like that you no longer hold um and actually i'm reminded of when we were first meeting um you and i would often go back and forth about internal versus external validation and i was kind of under the impression that like it's like oh, even the things that feel like they're internal like really they're internal because of the way it makes other people feel or like how it makes people treat us and i was like i was really on the kick of this internal the idea of like what works for you and what like really is within your own life and making your own choices like isn't actually internal it's external and i've completely 180'd on that and absolutely believe and have seen in my own life like the importance of like of acting and thinking and living of not for parents or loved ones or friends or status or anything like that but to actually just what feels most meaningful or true or right and the two often intertwine um, but i've certainly come 180 on my default of internal versus external validation and which matters more to me uh that's one for sure and um you know watch some other places where like i've totally changed my perspective um i mean yeah, climate change is one of like where i i for a long time like climate change had all of the signs of like this is another thing everybody's terrified about but like is way overblown and like this will this too shall pass um mm -hmm. and it looks like doesn't doesn't appear to be the case <laughs> <laughs> um and so that's that's another one that i've that i've flipped on um what to do about it it's another story and who knows uh but yeah those are two for me what are some for you uh where i've you know an interesting one is where beliefs that i think one is, that is the idea of like kind of like our existence having inherent meaning of like that there was the idea of I think just seeing the world through a lens of like it actually having meaning and purpose versus like understanding that like all of that is just assigned to it by whatever is, you know, having the experience behind my experience. Mm. And so like a little bit of like a landmark awakening, you know, of just the nothingness, like the existential nature of like the universe and being able to like appreciate that in many ways, like I am creating all meaning in this experience yeah. of like was a, was a huge one, I think. 
like that I really got. Um, to me, I think both that that's a really empowering framework and I think there's meaning. <laughs> yeah. I'm at on this <laughs> both, both together. Was that yeah. was another one? Um, another one. I think that just being able to like, even like perspective that I've had, like even relationally, like about like my partner of like, being able to open up to resentments that I've like held about someone and then being able to, I think just acknowledge like how fully accepting them like beyond that is ultimately we talked about how getting your point of view or whatever it is across is most effective from a place of like empathy and acceptance. And I think that um, I've seen so much more progress in my relationship from like just moving beyond resentment or judgment of people operating in the world in a way that I think is whether it's like harmful or damaging and just like loving fully you know what I mean of like not battling there and coming from a place of like full acceptance and love while still offering my opinions but not like I don't know that one might not be as clear for people I like that though I also I feel like anytime I'm extremely angry at someone it's like it almost always happens that I end up changing my opinion. It's like, sit, have the conversation. That's a brilliant one. And then it's like, oh, like this, this is where they were coming from. Totally. And uh, these are the ways in which I was the asshole. Well, that's, you know, like that, that is such a poignant one of like, if we just make it real again, of like one of the big areas of my life over the past couple of years has been like just coming back into like a place of integrity and something that we do with our guys at the Junto. And it's, if you look at someone that you're angry at, like right now, right? And the ability to see it from another side, it's like, look no further than the person you're mad at. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good place to look. It's a great place to look. <laughs> it's like anyone that you're frustrated or mad at, like if you got anything from this episode and you're just able to literally just do that turn for one second and just practice it. And you know what the, the reality... Really try it on because it's also, it's very because easy. And I know he, a lot of people who like would do that and be like, nope, and I don't get it. And, and because on. here's the thing, it's like until... Like what I would offer is that until you're really capable of trying it on and saying, it's like, you know what? I get it. Even if it seems fucking crazy, even if you're like, how the fuck could they see it that way? But that if you can't do that, then you're probably not ready to actually move through it because you are prioritizing being right than moving forward. You know what I mean? And understandable, but if you really want to like move forward, that you have to move past the the desire to be right. That's, I think, one that I changed my perspective on, is of, like, being right used to matter to me so much more yeah. than it does today. Yeah. Yeah. So, Maxwell, we just did an hour and 15 minutes, and, you know, we, we've gone into, like, three really important areas to me. We've gone through... We dove, like, right into the beginning, and we got into dealing with other people, and we got into locked into confrontation disagreement like what what keeps us from seeing other people's perspectives tangible techniques we can use to actually see other people's point of view and why ultimately i think both of us believe that that is the most effective and efficient way to help people see your point of view to help people evolve and um yeah to understand is the best way to be understood there you go that's our soundbite that'll be the tweet Uh, is that a Max Dossel original? I think I just made that up. But what did Jared Matthew Weiss said to me yesterday? He was like, "Originality is the process of it's like of remembering a lot of things you heard and forgetting where you heard them." From. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll be our second tweet. <laughs> <laughs>
we're set. And then we went through like some of the systems of like actually the the platforms and technologies that are contributing to this kind of like echo chamber and developing our opinions in a very like one-sided kind of dynamic and what we can do to actually do that. And then we brought it into like the personal of like how to evaluate our own perspective. And I love the the question that we just asked of one idea or one way that you've actually, one belief that you've changed or one way that you've grown. And I love a looking at literally anyone you're angry at right now of like that process i feel like is a really helpful one of who's someone you're angry at and what are they thinking no 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 no, not that one what are they thinking? no 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 no. like really where are they coming from yeah um i think that's gonna be really helpful and yeah and all of this like the most important piece is our own perspective and our own lives and we, we started off on like the political foot which is like oh it makes me even nervous and uncomfortable talking into a microphone where i can't see the people that i'm talking to about it um but the most important piece of this is to to recognize the incredible possibility that is in front of us if we can learn to see it hmm. yeah true that and um so with that maxwell i kind of want to that feels like a nice place to close it but i want to ask one more question about the art specifically in the poetry and that how does how does the poetry to you like explain that as a vehicle for these types of ideas of why it's an effective medium to open people up to the kind of stuff that we're talking about today. It's a tough question. Like the first thing that came to mind was like, that's how God talks to me. <laughs> it's like, that's how it's like, that's how the stuff comes through. It's like, for me is poetry. It's like, that's, that's the way it works for me. Um, it's like, if I were sitting and studying and being like what is the most effective message way of delivering these messages it's like would i arrive on poetry like i don't know maybe not um but just it seems to be the way that it that it comes out for mm. me right now and in 2019 it also feels like rhyme and rhythm are a really powerful tool to help us listen just like through a message if i'm talking i'm saying things and then if all of a sudden i'm in poem voice and there's things happening yeah we sort of perk up and we pay closer attention and play different, pay different attention. I think comedy does that too. But yeah, but it's like it's it's the way. It just it's, I don't know if I could explain this better, or understand this better, I would. Well, what it's, I'm yeah. what what I'm taking away from it again is is the idea that what what is coming across that I enjoy about it is the idea that you're not necessarily thinking about of is this the most effective medium to do this, but is it just the one that's that's there. Yeah. Right. And that you're acknowledging that showing up of like, if God's speaking and you're listening and it's like, I think about that just in the realm of fulfillment of like to express, to create feels like an innate human need. And that when we have an opportunity to align that in any way that is beneficial or valuable to other people, that that's like such a sweet spot. Yeah. Right. And in terms of like, because we've talked about this so much of like you're, you know, when we talk about what's the effective altruism and like maximizing our impact and these kinds of things. And that's a belief that that is, that's why you're here to maximize your impact. But what I'm seeing and you saying that again is that it's not, it's, that's not the bigger question. What, what feels like the bigger question you're answering is like, I have to do this. And now it feels like it is having an impact. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's like a nice. It's, yeah, it's really tough to explain. It's like, it's really tough to explain why it feels so important and from such a deeply powerful and higher place. And the word God is loaded for a lot of people. Um, but it's, and you know, if, 
for for you like paying attention to like wait what are the things that make the hairs on your arms and your neck stand up like what are the things that keep on kind of repeating in your head or your mind and how for you does that want to be expressed from a creative standpoint i think that's like that's where the value is and trying to like in communication trying to break down and understand how can i best get a message from here to there is one approach it's in a more exhausting approach for me than like just this is what's coming in here and I feel grateful that there's overlap for me personally, and I don't know why. Hmm. I know why I feel grateful. I don't know why it's the case. Hmm. Well, I believe, my point of view on this is that it is positively impacting millions of people. Thank you, brother. And that it is causing ripple effects, and that it has done the same thing for me, and that the power of opening people up to see, to see it a different way is liberating for their own lives, for their relationships, for the systems that we exist in. And I'm very grateful for you for doing the work that you do. Thank you, brother. We're all just, you know, all spirits looking at it from a different way. Totally. So how do how do people dive deeper into, so I would call him Aristotle, although don't Google that because you won't find that anywhere. But where do people, what, what do you have coming up that you're most excited about? Um, this show at Joe's Pub for sure on July 2nd. What, but so Joe's Pub is like, you can't just say this. So Joe's Pub is like a really like important theater company. It's where Hamilton started. Public is, yeah. Yeah. It's just public the public and Hamilton is the public. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited to be in the same building as Lynn. It's freaking yeah. insane. And I feel very grateful and excited to be taking the stage there. Yeah, that's uh, July 2nd um, at 7 o'clock and I'm very excited for that one. Um, and then, yeah, online wordsthatmove.com is the best place to to find my work. And that's a combination of videos and shows and speaking stuff um he's also awesome on social media he he uses it in a really interesting way where he has different types of campaigns where he'll do like everything is a lie where he'll acknowledge like almost like the instinctual like here's what i'm going to post about this and then he goes into like the deep almost like subconscious mind or anxiety that's really being expressed and so it's it's such a beautiful like depiction of how our, our actual relationship with social media is happening of what people see and what's like the mindset that goes into posting something. And then on top of that, like what I love about what he does on social media, I'm saying he, like you're right in front of me, but that you do is like when, when events are happening on the press, it's like you, you understand some of the mechanisms that are controlling our feeds in those times. So like, I remember like when the Gillette thing was happening and you were like, I wonder what, like people, when people Google, like what comes up for you? And like, you were just looking at like how different people based on their browsing habits would have different search results, you know? And it's like, wow, like we're all having a conversation based off of different information, maybe marginally, but then, you know, someone who has a different browser history could be responding to a completely different thing. And just, so it's really fascinating. So he's a great person to follow on social media. Go and see him if you can while he's live. He's an epic human being. Great friend. Thank you, brother. Sound a little slap to end it on. There we go. <laughs>